Mr. Leopold Bloom ate with relish the inner organs of beasts and fowls. He liked thick giblet soup, nutty gizzards, a stuffed roast heart, liver slices fried with crust crumbs, fried hencod rows. Most of all, he liked grilled mutton kidneys, which gave to his palate a fine tang of faintly scented urine. Kidneys were in his mind as he moved about the kitchen softly, riding her breakfast things on the humpy tray. Gelid light and air were in the kitchen, but out of doors gentle summer morning everywhere. Made him feel a bit peckish. The coals were reddening. Another slice of bread and butter, three, four, right. She didn't like her plate full, right? He turned from the tray, lifted the kettle off the hob, and set it sideways on the fire. It sat there, dull and squat, its spout stuck out. Cup of tea soon? Good. Mouth dry. The cat walked stiffly round the leg of a table with tail on high. Meow. Oh, there you are, Mr. Bloom said, turning from the fire. The cat mewed in answer and stalked again stiffly round a leg of the table, mewing. Just how she stalks over my writing table. Scratch my head. Mr. Bloom watched curiously, kindly the lithe black form. Clean to see the gloss of her sleek hide, the white button under the butt of her tail, the green flashing eyes. He bent down to her, his hands on his knees. Milk for the pussins, he said. Meow. The cat cried, hello and welcome. I'm Douglas Bowles and this is 42 Minutes, a weekly conversation with the interesting... The Interesting Artists and Thinkers of Our Day, a production of SyncBook Radio and distributed by thesyncbook.com. You can find our archives at 42minutes.com and you can reach us by sending a message to mail at 42minutes.com. You can also follow our tweets at Sync42 and at SyncBook. It's Friday night, June 16th, Bloomsday, and this is the spring installment of the 42 Minutes Seasonal Book Club. Tonight with us, the panel includes Snore, author of the Group Name for Grape Juice blog, Bill Klaus, author of the Ayahuasca blog and one of the originators of Sync Book Radio's Always Record. And as usual, we're joined by book club regular visual artist Dennis Cook. This time around, we took on Joyce. I think Dennis and I are newbies, but Bill and Znor are Joyceans, and they could tell you that Ulysses is a modernist novel by Irish writer James Joyce. It was first serialized in parts in the American Journal, the, in the American Journal, The Little Review, from March 1918 to December 1920, and then published in its entirety in Paris by Sylvia Beach on February 2nd, 1922, Joyce's birthday. It is considered to be one of the most important works of modernist literature and has been called a demonstration in summation of the entire movement. According to Declan Kibbard, before Joyce, no writer of fiction had so foregrounded the process of thinking. Ulysses chronicles the peripatetic appointments and encounters of Leopold Bloom in Dublin in the course of an ordinary day, June 16th, 1904. Ulysses is the Latinized name of Odysseus, the hero of Homer's epic poem, The Odyssey. And the novel establishes a series of parallels between the poem and the novel with structural correspondences between the characters and experiences. Ulysses is approximately 265,000 words in length and is divided into 18 episodes. Since publication, the book has attracted controversy and scrutiny ranging from early obscenity trials to protracted textual Joyce wards. 
Ulysses' stream of consciousness technique, careful structuring, and ex experimental prose full of puns, parodies, and allusions, as well as rich characterization and broad humor, have led it to be regarded as one of the greatest literary works ever written. Joyce fans worldwide now celebrate the 16th of June as Bloomsday. Happy Bloomsday! How are you guys tonight? I'm good. Excellent. Very good. Thanks for having us. You bet. I'm great. Thank you. All right. So, where do you begin with a book like Ulysses? <laughs> I think you begin by asking Zenora to begin. Well, well, I was gonna, I was gonna ask Bill to begin. He's good on narrative, <laughs> so. <laughs> well, you know, I'll begin with a little, you know, confession: is that it's it's damn impossible to read <laughs> this book. It's not even necessarily even fun for me to read this book i have been i've had a relationship with this book for probably 10 12 years i've read it straight through in one sort of passing only once um it sits on my bookshelf more often than not uh, i have the audiobook on my iphone and will often just pick a chapter and listen to it I read more about the book probably than actually read the book. I definitely feel like Odysseus himself trying to get my way into the book, trying to read to get to that place where I feel at home in the book, but I don't think I ever will. But that doesn't mean the journey or the effort is unrewarded um, because obviously on the path to home, uh, all the tales and all the poetry and all the magic kind of happens. So I, I, I definitely use it as a generator of epiphanies. And whenever I can grab a new crystal out of the book, I definitely feel lucky. But I don't feel like... God, I couldn't even tell you a, a synopsis of the plot very well from memory. Um, I could sketch an outline... But I could om I could probably tell you more about my personal life or my personal involvement with the book and Joyce in general than Ulysses, the book itself. But yeah, I mean, I don't know if that's a confession, but I, I kind of feel like that speaks to a lot of people's experiences of the book. Well, tell us the so. first time your first experience with it. Like, how did you first encounter it, and what did you? What kind of knowledge did you have going into it? Uh, well, it, Joyce is one of those names that I, as an artist, I just was attracted to because it, it seemed so lofty, and I have such a high opinion, <laughs> you know, <laughs> selfishly, but I always want to function at the highest level. I want the the biggest challenges, so you take. I took it on, and I remember just feeling humbled and depressed after just spending maybe three or four days with it. And then just two weeks later going, Oh yeah, didn't you start that James Joyce book? It gathered a lot of dust and I would return to it. And it, the, it, the there would be no attachment to it. And I kind of, I'll say this. It, it kind of felt like it felt like a, not being judged, but it just 
it made me question a lot of elements of what literature is, what intellectual, uh, what is, what does it mean to be intellectual? Um, was was the book too far away for me in time and space to really ever identify with? Um, and then when it got to the point where I was buying the annotated Ulysses guides, and when you realize that there are maybe a few hundred annotations per chapter, maybe more, um, you definitely feel like you're staring into an abyss, and um, you question really whether this is uh, something to tackle uh, in a year's time, and maybe it's just something you tackle over a lifetime. So I keep it close, but damn if it's not super frustrating at the beginning. Well, Okay, Dennis, I, I guess I didn't even mentally make this connection, but oftentimes the recognition, the book that we did yeah. last fall, is com- considered like the American Ulysses. Mm-hmm. Well, that's funny because... I found so many corollaries to Infinite Jest, specific plot points. And now I just, I think this part of this comes from, and I'm, I, before this, I was reminded of this Mike Kelly artwork called Educational Complex, which was somewhat scale model out of memory of his Detroit high school that he attended. And it was sort of this psycho uh, geography of the landscape that he inhabited before going to Los Angeles. So similarly, we have um, Joyce very specifically remembering Dublin from exile or from a distance. And there's something that I think that that's really important. And uh, using memory like that, um, memory could be talked about in a lot of ways, I think, here. And um, uh, I think Zanor pointed out uh, Francis Yates' book, I don't know where I'm going. I've already lost my my path. But uh, <laughs> but but uh, was this your yeah. first time into this? Yeah. Well, I mean, I had attempted uh, Finnegan's Wake, and I haven't gotten particularly far at it. I would love to do it at some point. It's hard. It's just. But it. And I should also say, look, if there's one thing that people, anybody who listens to this, that's like trying to penetrate this, comes away with that Frank Delaney podcast, Rejoice is incredible like it's a really great resource and uh i've had a lot of fun going through that in the the last day or so just because you can for someone like me who who listened to this in audiobook form and could recognize all the different depths that there is in each sentence or each part but didn't have maybe the time to break down all the 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 sort of fractal uh, details of it uh that podcast rejoice really goes line by line and um, is is spectacular. So when as you were listening to it, did you did you read like a, a plot summary before, so you had a somewhat lay of the land, or did you just kind of dive no. dive in and just see <laughs> what the heck? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I kind of just uh, uh, said this is just what I'm gonna. This is the depth I'm going to be able to plumb this at this point. So I I, I was okay with it, you know. Uh, but there was a number of things that, you know, pop up or stuck with me. But, um, yeah, the structure, it's – and I'd, I'd love everybody else's uh, opinion on that. Uh, there is a lot of narrative discussions that, that are worth having, but also the structure – I mean, how it becomes a text that is that transcends time is really fascinating to me. And there are very specific – he's using uh, song – 
limericks or uh, like um, wordplay, anagram, all of these things that that create this. I mean, if you want to carry on the the Homer's Odyssey connection, it's like a movement of water as it flows back and forth. So, I don't know. It's just there's and and things like song or things like a, a limerick or whatever can have so much meaning uh, dense condensed into it uh, over time. So, and he really maximizes that and. Uh, and Frank Delaney goes over some of these really specific cases that I think are really, really fascinating. But uh. Zenor, so um, this is your first time on the book club. Uh, you've been on the show before. I'm curious, how many times have you read this book? What what time? Um, is, can, do you have a sense? Yeah, I just read this again over the last um, the last three weeks, and then I read a bunch of. Uh, I, I have a bunch of. Uh, like supplementary books on it as well, so I, I was reading it. I, I have a lot of time to read. I spend about four hours on the train going up to Tokyo during the week every day, so I, I got to read it again, which was great. And then I read it. Uh, I read it once, all the way through my first time reading it, and then I read it again uh, while following it with the audio. Mm. Um, so it's it's about my third time now. It's, uh, but I I got so much more out of it this time, which is amazing. Like I I I, uh, I think I see it a lot clearer than I did before, even. So uh, it's I'm really kind of excited about it now. I'm thinking about it all the time at, at this moment. <laughs> uh, here, uh, one thing that I notice when when reading it is that it it's a book all about uh, coincidence. The whole thing is is coincidence. It's layer upon layer of coincidences, and and Joyce was obsessed with coincidences himself. And uh, I just found, like I did the first time I was reading it, is that it it generates coincidences. Um, mm. So as an example, this is this is a crazy one. I was uh, just this past Monday, I was standing in line for the train as usual in the morning, and there's a guy next to me standing in line to the but the next line over, this Japanese guy, and he was wearing this hoodie, and on the hoodie it said. Human bloom in big letters. <laughs> I was like, "What? <laughs> How is that possible?" You know, uh, but stuff like that has been happening just uh, just recently, like, like a whole uh, synchronicity wave again. And I, I think the book generates it, or somehow it 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 makes you more attentive to what's already happening. You know. Well, um, so as a young person, the first time you hear like Shakespearean language, it seems like. It it kind of washes over you, and it the idea that there's there's it's conveying meaning is uh, kind of lost on you. Do you think that like Shakespeare, you you develop your Joyce ear, and then it seems easier? Would you say that's true? Or uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, it just gets. Uh, I read everything that I can by Joyce and about Joyce, but the more the more that continues, uh, it gets easier and easier to pick uh, themes out. But I, I think the the big thing too is that it's um, like it gets touted as kind of like this uh, this this highbrow book or whatever, right? But he um, he's only intending that on a certain level. On, a, on another level, he's intending it for everybody, everybody at a certain stage. Like maybe not everybody for his his actual time, but everybody. At a certain point, 
in the in in the future, and th- that future might be now. You know, so um, so for us, just because there's been decades and decades now of uh, of study on Ulysses and study on Joyce, it's just it's naturally easier for us to pick up than it was when it first came out. When it first came out, it was people had no idea what, what the book was about, you know? <laughs> they, they couldn't see a plot in it at all. But at least now we can pick out, like, even even a casual reader can pick out sort of a plot and, uh, like, like the uh, the quote that you read um, starting the uh, Leopold Bloom section of the book, it's, it's, it's kind of straightforward narrative at that point. Well, who is Leopold Bloom and why does he matter? Yeah, he's a... Uh, He's Ulysses, right? Um, and this is this is the whole thing that Joyce didn't even let on until afterwards when he was talking to his friends, like after he had published the book and everybody was going, what the hell is this book about? <laughs> and the only clue to it was the title, Ulysses. And then uh, he started leaking it out to people like uh, Stuart Gilbert, his friend, that every chapter corresponds to or every so-called chapter or episode corresponds to an epi- episode in uh, in Homer, in Homer's Odyssey. So uh, Leopold Bloom directly corresponds to uh, Odysseus or Ulysses. And like Bill was saying, uh, Odysseus, Ulysses is coming back from the Trojan War, and he has all these adventures and misadventures trying to get back to his wife Penelope and his, and his son uh, Telemachus in Ithaca. And... And Leopold Bloom's uh, equivalent to that is leaving his house in the morning and doing all these different crazy events through the day, crazy and normal events through the day, and then finally coming back to his wife in the uh, in the early hours of uh, June 17th. And so each day, Leopold Bloom is kind of a, an everyman character. And the thinking behind it is that each day... We are all like that, basically. We all go out of our house to work and then come back in the evening, and we all make this kind of odyssey. Um, and uh, I think Joyce is the first one to point out that 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 uh, our lives are mythic, like from day to day, from moment to moment. Um, now, maybe like Bill, I felt like that maybe this uh, this book is anchored in a time and place that's gone. Do you think that... Somehow it's speaking to you and it's timeless. What what do you what do you make of that? Like politically or culturally, this is like a 19th century thing. Like right there, kind of at the beginning, is something like a new on the on the cusp of something new. Yeah, it's sort of well, it's in it's set in 1904, which is a uh, um, which is significant. We can get really into that 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 date in particular, but. Uh, the big thing that when the uh, when the book first came out, Joyce's first manuscript, and I think this is the the book, the length of the book that he intended to publish, because he he mentions it later in uh, Finnegan's Wake, it had seven hundred and thirty two pages, and seven hundred and thirty two is uh, six hundred and sixty six days and six hundred and sixty six nights in a leap year, and uh, nineteen o four was a leap year. Um, so it's it's kind of uh June 16th is almost exactly in the middle of this leap year and it's supposedly um the day when uh Joyce had his first big date with Nora 
Uh, well, and Zenor, didn't you write? You wrote in a blog about June sixteenth having a calendar significance as it relates to historical factions and stuff. Yeah, that's right. Um, I even forget that. Yeah, the, even the uh, Bavarian Illuminati they use um, June sixteenth corresponds to the old uh, Zoroastrian uh, calendar. It's actually the uh, the new year of the Zoroastrian calendar. Which I there's no indication that Joyce actually knew about that. It might have been a coincidence, but it's something that he might have been keyed into because June 16th was also the uh, the date um, I think in 1885 or something when when Yeats first yep. Yeats and others first opened uh, this Hermetic Lodge in in Dublin, and so there. There's probably a, a deeper significance to this, you know. There's probably a deeper and occult significance, because the whole book is, well, like I said, it, it corresponds to Homer. But another thing that Joyce told Stuart Gilbert and others is that each episode corresponds to a part of the body, and it corresponds to uh, certain symbols and colors and like uh, uh, arts. Um, it's it's a it's a book of hermeticism, um, and we also know this from uh, a portrait of the artist as a young man, where uh, Stephen Dedalus, who's also in Ulysses, says that uh, his god is is Hermes or Thoth. Um, so the I, I think e- even though in Ulysses Joyce kind of makes fun of the theosophists and the occultists of his time. Uh, He's deeply involved with them too. He, I think, he makes fun of it only because it's so shallow. You know, it, it's not like he was deeply into it. Like he, uh, like um, we know from reading Finnegan's Wake and stuff. Like he was deeply into uh, uh, Bruno and and all these kind of uh, Renaissance magi. Do you get the sense that each of these characters are various aspects of himself, or do you think these are people that he's capturing? Well, yeah, so the two main characters are uh, um, Leopold Bloom, as you said, and then Stephen Dedalus. And Stephen Dedalus, he carries over, like I said, from uh, Joyce's earlier book called The Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man. And that's definitely Joyce, yeah. It's definitely an aspect of Joyce. Joyce has a young uh, kind of starting and very arrogant and very, very intellectual writer, um, and uh, so Stephen Dedalus is kind of Joyce's own parody of his younger self. And uh, and on Bloom's Day, when uh, in the June sixteenth, nineteen o four, Stephen is twenty two, and then Leopold is thirty eight, and Leopold Bloom is kind of an older version of Joyce in a way, um, more relaxed, more content with himself, not as arrogant. Uh, more willing to say that he really doesn't know shit about what's going on, <laughs> although he tries, you know. Uh, but uh, that's that's sort of Leopold Bloom's character. So it's kind of like, um, in, it's true, like in one way, it's a meeting of Joyce's older self or his present self with his younger self and, and sort of a reconciliation of those two halves of him. Um, and then you have Molly Bloom, who's the the third big character, and she's yeah she there's a definite tie-in with uh, um, uh, Nora Nora Barnacle or Nora Joyce uh, uh, 
Joyce's wife. Do you have a favorite part, Bill? Um, no. <laughs> I, I, I really don't. I, it's, it's, it's funny. It's funny to really talk about a book that is, that I don't read very much, that I obsess over and I read about, but, but actually, you know, digesting it. Um, I will say this, that, um, it's hyper-local, right? Joyce obsessed about details. He was removed from Dublin, and he would talk to people that were going to Dublin or returning from Dublin so that he could get the exact architecture of the scenery down to the amount of steps it would take to get from place to place. So he was creating this theater, right? So uh, Dennis was mentioning The Art of Memory by Yeats. So he's almost enacting this art of memory construct within the actual cityscape, right? He wants to have all the the details connected to the actual thing. So he's 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 recreating a real place. And I just find that so there's a sentimentality from people who have been to Dublin or who have been born in Dublin or who live in Dublin who connect to the actual experience, right? The local experience of the place that you can almost slip inside of it and, and almost feel like you're there again, right? I don't have that experience. That's removed from me, right? But I have this sort of non-local experience, this sort of detached experience that I can – recognize within the form of the novel and within the construction of the novel, within the artistic intent of the novel. So I have this sentiment, not sentimental, but this respect for it or this, um, this sort of, uh, I don't know what to, what to call it, admiration for this great work. I mean, Ulysses is a great work, right? Um, it's how many years, 15 years, 16 years did it take to construct? How many rewrites do you think? How many obsessed over and, 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 and refined? And, uh, so again, I, I have this real outsider's appreciation for it. It just struck me as you're talking that you're also describing details of how Kubrick behaved. Exactly. If you think about the movie uh, Napoleon, yep. right? Which movie? The the film that he never made of Napoleon. Oh, Napoleon, yeah. Uh, if you look at the amount of um, research and how much material he uh, collected pre-production to possibly make that film, it's astounding. Oh, um, Bill, did you see that exhibition? I didn't see the exhibition, but oh, I because they the, display um, all that stuff. I, I oh, do they? That you were, yeah, it's got to be amazing. I had that Napoleon book that was released about four oh, years okay. ago, and it's just the indexing and the files of houses, of clothing, of um, I mean, he's going, he's bringing everything down to this local, local, local level, and I kind of think that it's sort of like that. Greek term that uh, Philip K. Dick always responds to, uh, enantiodromia, right? Where you mm. push something so far to its extreme that it flips to its opposite. Yeah, so yeah. that if you 
if you push something so local, so detailed, you pay attention to every little aspect that if you push that far enough, it allows this portal for it to spring back and become its opposite. And so if you go just one single day, you, you capture all the minute details of one 24-hour period. If you push that to its extreme, you'll have that uh, opportunity for that epiphany of that day to be not every day, right? Leopold Bloom, the everyman, you know, he's one character, but then he becomes every character. Um, it allows for that sliver of insight to just transform everything. And I think that's what Joyce was attempting with this. Yeah, this is this is this is a great point because, uh, like at the beginning, he get uh, Joyce was pegged as being this this kind of hyper naturalist or hyper realist writer, and you see that in in uh, Ulysses, especially the first part, right? So you have there's kind of two narrations. There's like the the outer narration, which is fine-tuned to every single detail, like you were saying, every single detail of, of, of Dublin and uh, everything else. And so kind of this external narrator. And then you have these, the internal narrator who is, it's, it's all stream of consciousness. It's all exactly what Stephen Dedalus is thinking or exactly what Bloom is thinking. And so for a few of the first chapters, like maybe the first, what, like the first eight or so, um, there's like uh, these two things are are clearly defined, and then the uh, then the external narrator, it's like he he gets drunk or something, and he just goes off, you know. He, and then and then you start to see all these different narrative styles entering in, and uh, then the book gets lost in narration. There's there's so many different uh, writing styles, or so many uh, for for whole episodes. It's like. He, where is the plot? Like, what happened? You know, it's it just gets lost in this haze of uh, of narration. Like well, the the that, one uh, that would be my favorite part. I think there was a yeah. there's an episode. I think when uh, maybe somebody's giving birth or something. But he yeah, basically probably... he does the entire history of the English language. Right. In, <laughs> in, in yeah, that various that's, um, uh, narrative forms. That's the uh, uh, the oxen of the of the sun. And that's that's an episode in the Odyssey as well, where the uh, um, in the Odyssey it's um, it was something like Odysseus's crew sort of uh, made the gods angry by eating the uh, like by killing and eating these these oxen that were on the island of the god of the sun, um, and so because of that they were punished. Um, and in that episode, uh, there's all these medical students who are sitting around getting wasted while this woman is giving birth and she's been sitting in this hospital for days trying to in, in labor trying to give birth and uh, these medical students are just kind of getting drunk making fun of uh, making fun of people giving birth having <laughs> like a maternity the whole and so th the idea is that uh, they're making fun of this idea of fertility and that, that's, a, that's a, a major theme in the whole book and so, and and then at the same time, like you're saying, there's all these different. It goes it goes from early Anglo-Saxon English all the way up to like modern just uh, cacophony, you know, the the most modernist uh, English style possible, and 
and people have mapped it out, and there's like nine different segments of that, um, which equal the nine uh, the the nine months of gestation. Um, mm. uh, oh. <laughs> and it, but it, it that that particular chapter is is insane. It's really hard to to find out what the hell's going on. Like, are, are you supposed to? Are you supposed to pay attention to all these different parodies? And if you do, you totally miss the plot. Or are you supposed to pay attention to the plot? And in which case, you don't, you don't appreciate any of the parodies. You know, so what? Like it's, it's as if the 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 narrator is, has gone insane or something. You know, <laughs> or or there's a bigger thing that's happening. You know, uh, um, and the the bigger thing that seems to be happening is that he's the whole of Ulysses is. The history of writing, and what Joyce is doing is, he's mapping out the return of writing to the muse, and the muse happens at the very end in uh, in Molly Bloom's uh, monologue, or, and uh, so that's the whole flow of the the muse. And for this is something that that McLuhan talked about, like for for centuries, the the muse was sort of lost in uh, in Western literature. And then with Joyce and with the the modernists, the muse and the mythic come back, and so Ulysses, in a way, is the whole course of writing going back to that point. If if that makes sense. Well, isn't Joyce sort of like the woman in the hospital? He has this vision birthed inside of him, and he's struggling, almost dying every right. day, trying to get this this creation, right? There's something created in him that he's struggling to push out of himself. Um, and yeah, I, I think that that scene is, is more important than it leads on. Um, well, it's, it's a, it's a massive scene because that is where, uh, that's where Stephen Dedalus and, and Bloom actually meet. It was the first yes, time they had right. all these, they had these three encounters where they sort of passed each other during the day, but that was the first time they actually met. And uh, and that was the time when when she gave birth. You remember, there's a blast of thunder, and then the storm clouds rage, and then there's 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 a there's a uh, torrent of rain. And before that, it hadn't rained. The whole of Ireland was in in a drought at that time. And uh, so it's basically it, it's describing a wasteland up up until that point. Um, there's there's this outbreak of hoof and mouth disease and everybody's everybody's depressed. Uh, women are trying to give birth that they can't, and uh, so it's, it's describing this wasteland scene, like quite directly. Like uh, uh, Eliot, when he wrote the wasteland, he's um, Joyce's earlier chapters of Ulysses had come out before Eliot wrote the wasteland, and so Eliot is directly referring to Ulysses in this point. But it oh, and Zenor, um, there's another part where I think one woman or two women are walking on a beach and one might be carrying either like a stillborn or a miscarriaged baby, which is exactly what occurs in Infinite Jest, the woman, the um, drug addict lady who's carrying a baby with the umbilical cord. It's really dark, but I, I'm, the parallel's there. I, please continue. Sorry. Yeah, that was in. Um, I think that's in the uh, the the kind of Proteus episode when Stephen's walking on the beach, and so it's hard to say that particular incident that you're talking about. It's probably in his mind. Yeah, it's probably like 
that's the whole thing is that we don't know uh we never know what is exactly internal and what is external because in a in a paragraph it's it flips back from one to another constantly right and then and for listeners is there some way in the text that it denotes this difference or is it really up to you as the reader to try and sort through this you can you can sort of uh key into it just um the type of words that are used like there's um like when you read those passages on Bloom, like the the first passages that you read, um, it starts out in narration. Like when they talk about stuff like gelid light, you know, that's obviously not Bloom who's talking. Right. But then, uh, but then when he's talking about what the cat sounds like and stuff, the, these short, uh, really precise sentences, that's Bloom, and you you just get into the personality of the of the character, and then you can you can pick it out in the narrative, but then. The problem is, is that then he starts slipping, then Joyce or whoever the narrator is starts slipping bloom words into his narration as well. And so there's kind of this fogging <laughs> of, of narration. So you don't, um, so yeah, you, there's, there's uh, in the early episodes, it's easier to do that, to sort of distinguish those two. But then as, as the day progresses and uh, night is coming on, and everybody's getting more and more wasted, basically. Um, it, it, it all starts to get sloshy, you know? It's like... Um, hmm. Well, so then, do you make uh, a judgment about, like, which Joyce is is his masterpiece? Or do you just feel like all Joyce is, is great for its own merits? Um, yeah, I... I don't know. I used to be kind of more of a kind of Finnegan's Wake snob, but I'm I'm realizing like w once you get into Finnegan's Wake, it's like uh, you real every book becomes Finnegan's Wake after that, you know. And then and then you then I started to realize that, that all of Joyce leads up to that, you know. Um, so for example, in in Ulysses, he's got characters in Ulysses that come from Dubliners, you know, like his early his earliest short stories that he was actually writing in 1904. Um, so there's a his career is amazing how how uh, how well put together it is, you know, how it's almost like he had this grand plan from the very beginning, right? Everything fits in so perfectly. Uh, well, from my standpoint, without any background the idea is okay if if you're going to tackle finnegan's wake which is like the epic mountain you have to first climb ulysses which is like the proto finnegan's wake is that misguided and wrong are they quite different or what what would you say to that statement um well i would start from dubliners really you know i'd, I'd work my way all the way up but uh um yeah in a way uh ulysses you know the the sort of Circe uh, chapter or episode when they're in the night town, and it just it it's written in the sort of a, a dramatic form, um, and everything just goes off the rails. It's like everybody's yeah. everybody's dream is being externalized in front of them, and you don't know who's coming up with what. Um, that's the entry point of Finnegan's Wake, you know. <laughs> um, uh, so. Some people, some critics have have said that, who, like, who's dreaming Finnegan's Wake? Finnegan's Wake is a dream book, so who's dreaming it? And there's one critic, I forget who it was, and he was saying that it's, 
the dream is actually Molly Bloom and Leopold Bloom sleeping like head to foot, like in opposite way, like 69 kind of style. And it's a combined dream of, of theirs. That's what Finnegan's Wake is in the, hmm. in the early morning of, July, of June 17th. Um. Well, I was just going to say that with Ulysses, you sort of have this vesica of um, the vesica of Pisces of form and content, right? And you could appreciate solely as form and solely as content, but really it's where they intermingle in that center is where the book comes alive. But Finnegan's Wake, you just have one one solid thing. You don't know if it's all content or if it's all form. Right. You it, there, There's an eclipse there of the two different things. And I kind of look at those uh, the sort of like um, the New Testament and the Old Testament. Um, and how really the Old Testament is more like Finnegan's Wake, and the New Testament is more like Ulysses. Mm. Um, and that what Joyce did was he grew up in a time that was dominated by the New Testament, but in this book called the Bible, right? But then he sort of wrote his way backwards out of that structure, right? He wrote mm. the New Testament first and then wrote the Old Testament last. Yeah, that's interesting because yeah. in, um, in Finnegan's Wake, he refers to um, Ulysses as uh, something like that, the good book to the Hebrews, but he spells it um, H-I-B-R-U-W, which is like the good book to the highbrows. <laughs> but, but he... So he's he, he's doing the same thing as what you're saying. He is saying it's kind of a it is the new the new uh, testament and the Messiah in it is Leopold Bloom. Yeah. Okay, so that was 42 minutes. I'm going to do a quick little final thought thing, and then but we'll keep chatting. Um, Dennis, do you think you would read this again? Yeah, I mean, much like what Bill said, I've had so much fun in the very last couple of days with all of the material that's talking about and breaking down the, the book. Like, yeah, I mean, maybe, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Do you think you, which one would you be more likely to read again, the Recognitions or Ulysses? Probably the Recognitions, because it's closer to. Um, some of the David Foster Wallace things that I'm really interested in. So, um, but that said, I found uh, this to this book to really, it just goes every which way. So it, that, that, that application of time probably doesn't matter. So what did you get out of this, this readings, Nord? Was there anything that really struck you as interesting or unique this time? Um, Yeah. Just um, paying a lot more attention to the different, narrative styles that he uses all the way through and then the meaning really of why he's using those narrative styles um uh there's so much uh, there's so much that i got out of it this time that i uh it's like it, another whole layer of uh of meaning that i picked up from it this time and i'm I, I of course i'll do it again you know at some point what about you bill do you think you'll be able to read through it or are you going to use it like like your own good book and you're just picking up the synchronicities as you go. Well, I think it, it, it's a strong, um, 
it, it's like Shakespeare, right? It's tough to read Shakespeare because people have ripped off Shakespeare and it's been retold in so many different forms. And it's like by the time someone today gets to Shakespeare, they've already basically encountered everything that made Shakespeare what it was. Um, and it's like Joyce kind of like he – it was like 2001. You know what I mean? It was like he was the one who put it all together first and put it up there uh, with Ulysses. And I think its impact – resonates through all of everything that attempts to make something on that level. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I'm probably going to live with this. I, I can't wait to read this book when I'm like 65 years old. You know what I mean? I imagine that. <laughs> Honestly, I and it's like I can't wait to reread the Bible when I'm 65 years old. I can't wait to read all these books that I love when I'm 65 years old. It's like the more times you circle around the sun – all of a sudden you have a, a new angle to look at it from and you filter it through all of your experiences and it, it, the density increases and it might just be one or two things, but all of a sudden the epiphanies are greater and, and brand new again. So, yeah. All right. Well, you've been listening to the 42 Minutes Seasonal Book Club on 42 Minutes, production of SyncBook Radio and thesyncbook.com. For more information about our club members, check out the show notes for the link to their work. For more information about the SyncBook, our guests to check out past shows or to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, please be sure and visit our website at syncbook.com. If you like this podcast and would like more, consider becoming a SyncBook Plus member. Some of the membership benefits include full access to the complete audio archive, discounts on books, behind-the-scenes scripts, bonus audio and video, as well as seasonal online hangouts with the hosts. All this and more can be found at thesyncbook.com slash membership. Thanks so much. And a man of genius makes no mistakes. His errors are volitional and are the portals of discovery.
Break me on the stone 